0: This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. (laughs) None none of you have the balls to stop this. I've got plenty of time. I have nothing else going on today. We're
1: in
2: the Wedge neighborhood Right 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 now. 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 Right now
0: should always hit record before we start talking right
1: you should yeah you were definitely much more amused the first time
0: yeah There's so much gold that we miss
1: i know Wait, Pe- I mean... people
0: should know that we are funnier and more <laughs> entertaining more intelligent better looking absolutely when we're not recording yeah as soon as it's i hit really... record it all falls apart
1: yeah it's just a straight downhill much like You know, this new collaboration between a new 612 and Operation Safety Now and uh, the DFL Senior Caucus.
0: But before we get too deep into our uh, co-host banter, uh, let's introduce the show. This is the Wedge Live podcast. I am your host, John Edwards, my co-host again. They're here frequently, Jason Garcia.
1: All right. How have you been, John?
0: Uh, I've been okay. Been, uh, you know, we took a couple of weeks off the podcast, and yeah. now we're back in breakneck pace.
1: Yeah, there's so much going on constantly.
0: I have hopes to get this episode, like this episode, will jump ahead in the order because there's so much news happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been constant.
0: DFL award ballots are out and available to be cast today. Yeah, and there's going to be a press conference tomorrow with all these various conservative groups the Minneapolis Chamber's new a new 612 operation safety now which we talked about last week yeah. the senior caucus charter for change which is pushing for uh the strong mayor charter amendment against the public safety charter amendment the Minneapolis 8 which is the group suing the city over not having enough police, and then another group, I don't even know what this is, Together Minneapolis, which I think is some umbrella organization that contains all of these groups. It's a very conservative soup of of new organizations we have to keep track of.
1: Yeah, the only thing that I know about Together Minneapolis is I believe they've been the organization that has been sending out the uh, push polls via text
0: messages. That's who they are?
1: I, th- I believe so. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: So, I mean, it's ju-
0: just today. Uh, Anton passed this on to me. There's a new pack called all of Minneapolis. Did you see that tweet, Jason? No, I did not. Yeah, there's a new local pack called all of Minneapolis. I looked up the guy behind it. I think his name is Richard Forshler. It's like a lobbyist PR type works for uh fager baker daniels the big downtown Mm. law firm and lobbying firm sure looks like a likely receptacle for the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in business community money that will likely be poured into this election
1: yeah um certainly the the tom hulk faction of the the dfl has really been activated recently um you know there's been a lot of a lot of news about your your favorite Mickey Moore
0: um, oh yeah he I saw an email where he was gonna hold a press conference tomorrow to complain about the DFL process that it's been too partisan imagine a yes. party endorsement process that got too partisan
1: right especially you know from somebody who was <laughs> planning to run for a state office um, in the um, legalized marijuana now
0: party. And did I, did I note that those groups that I listed off earlier, were going to hold a press conference tomorrow. Yes. I don't know. I don't know if I did.
1: I believe you mentioned that at the um, government center.
0: Yeah. I, I have trouble keeping track of whether I'm explaining things to people in a way that someone who's not already acquainted with this stuff would understand, which is a, an important skill for a, the host of a internet TV show and podcast. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, you could definitely be excused if you aren't from Minneapolis or are only recently following Minneapolis politics. If you, you know, thought that there was this whole group of Republicans that were running, but no, they're just <laughs> because it's Minneapolis. They're just us, section of the dfl
0: yeah if you're a republican in minneapolis the only way to participate in the in this period of you know party endorsements that we're not there's no republicans to speak of so if you want to like in ward seven it's common that downtown business types will uh will jump in and cast a vote for lisa goodman for the dfl endorsement i'm not sure what portion of the delegate pool is actually republicans but they do exist
1: Yeah, I mean, and there are, I'm sure that within that sub-caucus, if you will, um, they would be very horrified if you referred to them as Republicans. But looking at their um, policies and the agendas that they're putting forward right now, they're definitely, you know, your run-of-the-mill Republican candidates trying to get everyone scared about crime and support the police. It's very important to them.
0: I mean, there's a whole set of like workers' rights issues. There's a whole set of local issues that if you elect a conservative council, those things just aren't going to happen. I got a letter from Chris Parsons today, who was a candidate in Ward 10, and it's all this vague happy talk, kind of misdirecting from what his actual positions would be. Chris Parsons as a council member would be a law and order and pick up the trash and your city government should do no more than that, that kind of candidate. Big stakes, Jason.
1: Yeah, I mean, the stakes are actually very high in this election. And I think that's why there have been more of these, you know, DFL and name only candidates that have been really pushing and when they're like Mickey Moore finding that they're not getting any traction with their campaigns, they're, you know, now they have to call into question the whole process, Um, you know, because clearly they couldn't be losing because of their ideas or their faulty campaigns. It has to be a problem with the way that the DFL is running the, the caucus process.
0: And I get I get the sense that they're ramping up maybe an expectation that the DFL process will not go the way that conservatives hope. Like with this this new pack. I have no idea what's happening with this pack, whether that's it's going to be what it looks like it might be, but and this press conference tomorrow with these other groups. It feels like they're ramping up their election year push. Yeah. And that's how it should be understood as electioneering.
1: Right. Yeah. I feel like in 2017, it was much more covert. Um, You know, you might get a, you know, expensive looking mailer about Tom Hoke that had him posing with police or something like that. But um, this year, you know, following the events of 2020 and the MPDs murdering of, george floyd obviously they're they're abandoning even that pretense of being progressive but with police to just be flat out regressive
0: and i i wonder if one of the lessons learned by conservatives was that you can't rely on just the business community like there's a whole network and infrastructure of progressive groups there's take action there's Reclaim the block, reclaim the block. Uh-huh. All the all the groups that Carol Becker accuses of being like nefarious and <laughs> and out right. to destroy the city, right. right? And the conservative side doesn't have that,
1: right? Yeah, they don't have that grassroots infrastructure, so they end up creating these astroturf groups um, that are meant to serve that purpose and you know i think with the further penetration of next door into city politics um you know the the old joke that next door is twitter for old people um right. and giving conservative people a space to scare one another um that you know has caused there to be a a real opening for groups like that to exploit people's fear and concern. Um, That is in some cases, you know, a real and justifiable concern for the city and the people around them. But, you know, it turns into this um, kind of, I don't know, just a more selfish and, self-serving concern ultimately
0: Uh, i'm a little careful to call them astroturf because i mean that implies that the the people are fake like I, i believe that the people behind these groups are real a lot of them are like it's the same people involved in every group uh and like they will disappear as soon as the election year is over it's like one of those situations where the group crops up in an election year and then you never hear from them again So I don't, I don't know if that, if AstroTurf is the right word for it. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of the, the organization as a whole, in terms of claiming that it is some sort of, you know, community led group, I think that that's a, a, you know, a very misleading term. Mm Mm-hmm. And certainly they would like to cast themselves as, you know, this um, grassroots organization. But as we discussed uh, when we had Logan Carroll on, I, I just don't think that that's really the case.
0: Jason, people have been asking me after the last episode where you, I asked you if you were a delegate. You said no. Oh, you, were yes. about to, you were about to launch into a story and people can't stop asking me. And by people, I mean two people. People can't stop asking, "What? What was Jason going to say? Why was one another? of them Risa?" Uh, no.
1: Oh, so that's the the person who reached out to me.
0: Somebody funny. on Twitter, and then another person. <laughs> but you, you have to tell the that, story. That
1: does count as people. And that's um, two people. So, um, earlier this spring, uh, I went through a breakup. Okay. Kind of I'm sad. Sorry that. to hear that.
2: I'm sorry to yeah. hear that.
1: That's all right. Um kind of sad personal news. But as a result, um, you know, I moved and for the summer I am staying with a friend in Saint Paul.
0: Oh man, Saint Paul.
1: Yeah. I'm so, sorry to hear that.
0: Sorry to hear that.
1: That's all right. Um it's, it's
0: even sadder than the breakup news.
1: I know. But I'm I'm choosing to look at it as like a summer vacation to a, a sleepier, you know, more laid back part of part of the world.
0: It's your cabin in the woods. Exactly. You're gonna refresh and come back better than ever.
1: Yes. But I didn't feel even though it is my intent to move back to Minneapolis um in a few months, um, I didn't feel that it was ethical for me to you know, take advantage of my former address and become yeah. a delegate.
0: We don't want you showing up in a Minnesota Reformer story as a Wedge Live podcast co-host. Uh, fake has a fake address. Right. Caucusing under a fake address. We don't. <laughs> so thank you for your your ethics. Who
1: would have thought that someone involved with this podcast had ethics?
0: Yeah, it's... you you compensate for my lack of ethics. <laughs> you want to talk about a Venn diagram? There's some Venn diagram news. The Lab oh. Venn diagram is, it was a sensation a couple of weeks ago. People yeah. loved it. And it has, it's making it clear which groups are endorsing, you know, the conservative groups are endorsing a, a constellation of conservative candidates and progressive groups are endorsing, obviously progressive candidates. It's a good way to understand the coalitions. And uh, Mike Norton, who is candidate in Ward 13, Andrew Johnson in Ward 12, and Abdi Razak Bihi in Ward Six are climbing up the rankings, Jason, because Stonewall DFL, which is one of the included orgs, has endorsed oh. those those three candidates.
1: Oh, so everything is shifting as we speak still.
0: Yeah. There's gonna be a new graphic coming out. So if I can get this podcast out tomorrow, we'll probably have a new graphic tomorrow with those with a couple of new heads.
1: Yeah were you planning on ever having to update the the venn diagram
0: well because the dfl process is coming to an end i feel like i am ethically obligated to to stick with my uh my rules and uh make sure we have an updated graphic so people can cast their votes with uh some education
1: yeah i really admire that you managed to uh you know capture all of that in one graphic i think that it's a really easy to understand way to look at certain things um and certainly there are you know people who i'm sure have flooded your mentions to argue with you about where they fall or where their preferred candidates fall in, in the venn diagrams but again those judgments are based on the endorsing organizations not necessarily the candidate specifically
0: right yeah, there was a candidate who DM'd me and uh, was like, do I have to be endorsed by one of these groups to be included in the Venn diagram? And I had to explain, yeah, you, you kind of have to be, <laughs> you have to get one of the endorsements. You can't just plop you in the diagram as if, like I'm not taking cash to to place people on this graphic and mislead people. Right. Like, what do, What do people think, Jason?
1: I don't know. I mean, it. you would think that, if you saw fit to run for elected office in something of a major city in the United States, you would understand how a Venn diagram works.
0: Yeah. You can't pay to be included in a Venn diagram. It's not the yellow pages. The yellow pages don't exist anymore.
1: Yeah. Now who's making the references that kids won't understand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's the, what's the reference that makes sense there?
1: I, um, i don't even know um like uh
0: this is not a facebook ad yeah maybe what do we have now besides the yellow pages
1: um wow that i'm really stumbling to try to figure out what would possibly fill that particular spot in american culture um
0: But anyway, the the point is, Wedge Live has ethics. Only candidates who have received the endorsements of the organizations listed in the Venn diagram will be included in the Venn diagram. Can't pay to be included.
1: Yeah. I mean, that. I will say that just this week, somebody commented to me about what a fan of your journalism they are. And. Certainly, somebody who has fans of their journalism would never be so unethical as to just plop a candidate into a Venn diagram for no reason. Yeah, I mean, that's the sort of scandal you don't need.
0: Not, not with a fledgling podcast that we're hoping to get off the ground.
1: Right. Although that does bring up the sort of question of what sort of, of scandal do you need?
0: well i I feel like uh carol becker trying to steal wedge live was a it's not really a scandal it was a scandal for her that's yeah that was i think well that was one of the motivating factors for the uh what's what's the name of the business magazine that made me purse one of the hundred people to know in 2020 um business mag <laughs> no, downtown
1: business mag i don't remember but, but, uh, uh, <laughs> it was clearly but, a major a major award for you
0: it was it has some generic name that's why it's hard for me to remember i think it's twin cities business mag i think is the name though,
1: is it twin cities business journal
0: no business journal no. is like the uh is the other one oh I think maybe it's Twin Cities business. I think that's why. But one of the reasons they cited to make me there are hundred people to know was that Carol Becker tried to steal Wedge Live. Like yeah. this guy must be good if an elected official is trying to trademark their their whole thing and steal yeah. it.
1: I mean that while a you know, if an elected official is willing to debase themselves so far yeah. to, you know, try to to cyber squat on, on your IP that it really must be an important IP to have.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's an example of a good scandal. Yeah. Your enemies bringing scandals upon themselves. I think <laughs> was that Sun Tzu who said uh, that. Yeah. I, I believe may, so. may all your enemies be Carol Becker.
1: Yes. May, <laughs> may, may your enemies be as, thoughtful and skillful as carol becker
0: And now now we wait for our guest and we we do the traditional thing on the watch live podcast which is sit in silence as we wait for our guest
1: (laughs) okay (laughs) i will uh reach out and see if i can get a status update how's that
0: that's okay yeah and it's no big it's not like we got things going on
1: well there is that although i imagine that you know somebody who runs the the wedge live radio network and twitter empire is always always uh, you know attending soirées and um i don't know eyes think... wide shut parties or something
0: <clears throat> no it's it's just me and my cat painting here just alone you know,
1: what what's above your head on the other side
0: no uh. That's a, that's Arby's.
1: Oh, the Arby's,
0: Arby's right. Island. We can hit some other topics. I'm sure there's other things going on that we can talk about. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Or we could re we could just run through everything we already talked about and try to do it better.
1: <laughs> try to. We could actually do some research to look up the name yeah. of the organization
0: that give you of an points. award. Yeah, there's a couple of points where I feel like we, we fell short of the high standard we set for ourselves. Uh, well, you know, it,
1: that's the problem with the you know the the personalities that we've laid out is sometimes you have the dizzying highs and then you have the death-defying lows. And sometimes the creamy middles.
0: Hey. Oh, it's okay. Oh, it's that's just, totally it's... understandable. Okay. I'm going good. How are you?
2: hanging
0: in there okay this <laughs> just me and jason yeah. hanging out talking doing yeah. our pre-show co-host banter yeah. yeah
2: thank you for having me and thank yeah, you for so. thank you for waiting i know i'm a little
0: late oh it's oh that's all right we were just
1: talking mission. about how we don't really uh have much of a social calendar
0: so yeah. we've got no place to be we don't have children <laughs> we don't have family we're just <laughs> <hanging out. laughs> No, okay. I was just
2: passing the parcel on to my husband, so he's oh.
0: even now. So.
1: Well, that's a fine
0: thing to do.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Jason, I'm going to introduce our guest. Okay. Please do. Okay. Our guest is Asma Nazami. Yeah. Right.
2: Like Muhammad Nazami, but yeah, you
0: can say Nazami. Okay. So, so how did I get it wrong?
2: It's Asma. So it's Asma Muhammad As- Nizami.
0: Asma Muhammad Nazami. Okay. Thank you.
2: Yeah.
0: And so you have an organization called Reviving Sisterhood. I thought we would start by talking about what that is.
2: Yeah. Um, So I didn't found the organization. My, uh, our executive director is also our founder, Nashina Hussain. But Reviving Sisterhood is the full acronym is RISE. It stands for Reviving the Islamic Sisterhood for Empowerment. And we work to amplify the voice and power of Muslim women through civic engagement, leadership development, and storytelling. Um, So Basically, my job is as the advocacy director, is all of our political work. We are obviously nonpartisan, we're a 501c3, um, but I still get to. You know, kind of come at people in the way that I want to and hold people accountable Um, and also talk about politics in a way that is um, digestible for people who maybe haven't entered politics before. I help Muslim women who are interested in running for office run for office, help them get involved um, at the very basic levels from, you know, voter engagement up to the higher levels like running for office.
0: And so, so you can get you can get as political as you want to be on this podcast, right?
2: I can. I, I'm not okay. representing anyone right now. I'm representing Osama bin Zami.
0: Okay, because okay, I wanted to talk about public safety, something I talk about with Jason a lot. I feel yeah. like it's just Jason and me repeating yep. the same stuff at each other. Not that we don't <laughs> enjoy it and feel strongly about it, but mm-hmm. it gets repetitive. Yeah. So, but it's
1: nice to have somebody else on who can all who sounds you know maybe more intelligent and authoritative. Yeah. Than, yeah, you're than the you're two more are put body. together than we are.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Jason's great, and we enjoy making fun of people on social media together. So
1: <laughs> it's true. It's you know definitely its own community within the Minneapolis Twitter. Oh yeah. Area. So I, I really like, appreciate we
2: built community during the pandemic around that, which I think is hilarious and it's fun sometimes. And it also just feels good to know that other people are validating you in feeling angry and channeling that into something that's pretty funny most of the time
0: yeah so so you both met during the pandemic on twitter yeah okay yeah. I, I basically know all my minneapolis friends through twitter too
1: yeah. yeah it's you know um actually one of my friends one day um when we dared have like a backyard get together at you know sort of the height of covid last summer um was like there's this t- instagram account that you have to follow and they were so excited to tell me about it and then i was like oh yeah asma asma is great
0: <laughs> um, so then so what's happening little... on instagram what's happening on instagram
2: kind of the same stuff um i sometimes compile tweets into a singular instagram post and okay. it could be anything, ranging from Jacob Fry to my husband not knowing how to do basic things, <laughs> <laughs> and also like really positive things, like um, we worked on the memorial for survivors of sexual assault um, and brought that to Minneapolis. So just some fun things, some cool things, some not so fun things.
0: Yeah. Let's let's move to some not so fun things. Uh, so <sighs> we so can go. Bra- I don't know, I wonder if you have an interesting broad assessment of where we are a year after george floyd's murder um the overwhelming demands for change the protests the uh and the backlash to those demands the the rising crime across the country which is happening in minneapolis too things haven't you know we're not we're not where we want to be Mm -hmm. i don't think people who want a transformation of public safety it's a long road This feels like an overbroad question for you, but like, where are we right now?
2: <laughs> that is, it is a, a broad question. Um, I think what I always look at is how, I, well, I, I don't think anything that has changed would have happened had the uprising not occurred. I mean, even last summer, think about, you know, the the park board um, saying that they were ending contracts, you know, the Minneapolis Public School Board saying that they're ending contracting with MPD. I think those are some really big changes that happened, kind of like in the height and then, of course, we know the, what was it, the, the nine council members, was it nine council members, I think at the time? Yeah, nine yes. council members who said that they were ready to defund the police and kind of dismantle systems that weren't working. Um, none of that would have happened if the pressure hadn't been applied in that very direct way. So I think that worked. And I think right now people are feeling less of the pressure and are thinking like, nobody cares as much as they did. Um, I think Dante Wright's murder brought some of that back again. And the attention has been on Minneapolis, it's been brought back to Minneapolis over and over again. So I'm in Chicago now. Um, and I every time I share people like, oh, I'm here from Minneapolis, um, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know. And I think that the whole world is watching what we're doing. And other cities and other activists, other other people who, who are wanting change and other people who are not wanting change are looking at this city to see what are they doing, a, a year after, what has happened? A year later, I'm sure you've seen all the the articles from Washington Post to New York Times. Everyone nationally is talking about like what, where are they now? Um, I've seen all these where are they now articles, and it's really annoying for me to to, to read those yeah. because I think we've all been paying attention, <laughs> right? And everyone else is just kind of getting into the fold and saying, yeah. um, "Well, here are the big changes that they are looking for, and they they haven't seen any of them happen or occur." Um, but I think we I think we have. I think that there are so many more people that are, I don't want to say our side, but I think there is like a a big our side. I think there are more people who understand what's going on and have started to look at policing and public safety with more scrutiny than ever before. And I think that is part of the goal. Um, I'm on the steering committee for Yes for Minneapolis, which is a campaign to um, petition the city of Minneapolis to change the charter and change the current department, um, the police department to a new model of public safety. And one thing we talk about a lot, um, that I that I think about a lot, is like who who are we trying to bring in? And I think there are moments when I think about the people who are like anti anti police, right? There are people who are abolitionists and they're they're ready to go. They've been ready to go for years. There are people who are new to the movement. There are people who are just starting to warm themselves up and saying, yeah, that wasn't right. Um, he J- Derek Chauvin is a murderer. What what do I do now? Like, do I start looking at all of policing? And then there are the people who are like, mm, I don't know. I think I think most police officers are pretty pretty legit. I think that we right. we have crime rising, and I think that we need more policing, and maybe we just want some basic reforms." Um, so I always wonder, like, are we trying to bring those people in? Are we trying to bring in the people who are living in Linden Hills and wondering how we can get more police into <laughs> into Minneapolis? Right. So. I think we have more people in the middle and more people um, on our side than than ever. So I think that's changed for sure. And you can see that through social media, you can see that through just talking to people in Minneapolis. And I think beyond Minneapolis, like we have had a, a national and global impact on the way people are talking about policing. So that's my long answer.
0: <laughs> that was a great answer because you're covering things that are moving around in my head. Uh, yeah. I'm having a hard time, you know, distilling into a question, but I, I'm connecting to the the idea. I remember last fall, a New York Times story where it's like, well, I guess Minneapolis failed. Like, well, it just started.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think people, people are always looking for like that. I don't know if you all watch Law & Order, but it's like <laughs> things happen really quickly. And so it'll be yeah. like, Someone gets someone is harmed. The next day you see that there's a police case brought up or the next day there's there's a court a hearing just like all these things happen so quickly. And I think people assume that that's the way things are supposed to work. But we just had Derek Chauvin on trial very recently. Right. So it took like almost a full year for that to happen. Um, and then during that time, so many other things happened, but things aren't moving in like TV time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people expect. And I think it's really unfortunate that these national outlets that are obviously not from Minneapolis are looking at us and saying, oh, you didn't do this immediately. Like the the, the police haven't been defunded already. must be a failure.
0: A million headlines. I don't know whether the police are all gone or we we just didn't do anything. I, it's hard to tell right. what's happening in Minneapolis based on the headlines from like the Washington Post and the New York Times.
2: Yeah, I so, think people are probably really confused as to like, are we a, I think I've heard, read things about like no-go zones and yeah. the autonomous zones. And it's like, if you're from here, you know what's going on.
1: Go ahead, Jason. Oh, I was going to say, and then there's like, you know, that that weird dichotomy where, you know, I have cousins who live in other states who will be like, Oh, you, you live in Minneapolis. Isn't that scary since you don't have police anymore or things like that? And it's like, wait, no, that's not what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the other side that's like, well, you know, this Minneapolis made these bold promises and they haven't followed through. And it's sort of the opposite where you're just like, no, there's, all of this is going to take time and re-envisioning and there are definitely people who are dragging their heels intentionally, but there are also a lot of people who are just trying to be thoughtful and careful about how we move forward in this re-envisioning process.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that there are are people who are also doing a really good job of pushing conversations um, that there are many people in power who don't want to, they don't want to have them. Um, And I think that Jason, you've done a good job of trying to push the mayor at least to try to have some of these conversations and maybe you haven't gotten the responses that, that we all deserve, but I think that they're still being seen, right? There, there is pressure. There is the importance of people in broad coalitions trying to get some responsiveness and some accountability where there hasn't been any.
0: Jason, I wonder if you contacted the mayor for comment to this podcast before we started recording. Did you contact him? No,
1: not this time. Um, okay.
0: (laughs) You get you get to him after we're done,
1: okay? Yeah, he he wasn't really, you know, he hasn't done anything scandalous that you know made it into the papers this week, so I didn't need to directly. The mask mandate,
2: maybe that was one thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true.
2: Happening in mean, the
1: Yeah the the random dis- decision making process that doesn't get communicated to anyone else, I guess.
0: And then St. Paul is basically, I think Mayor Carter was like, well, I, I can't maintain You're it all by it. myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That felt wrong. Yeah. So how, you mentioned talking to people in the middle. There's a big group of people in the middle who don't know how quite they feel about this. And I I think I'm in the middle. I feel like I'm in the middle. I mean, I'm definitely on team yes for Minneapolis but I can kind of relate to the people in the middle in terms of I would like a public safety system that works Mm -hmm. this isn't about defund the police or abolish the police this is how do we build something that does not disintegrate that doesn't kill and abuse people first of all and then does not disintegrate in the wake of killing and abusing people The city council did not dismantle the police. They dismantled themselves. And the system we had that was supposed to keep us safe completely fell away. I think an argument you could make to those people is let's build something resilient that works. But I I wonder if you have some additional thoughts on how do you talk to the person in Linden Hills who's legitimately progressive and wants, wants the best for everyone but doesn't know if they're on board?
2: Yeah, I think that, that yeah, again, that's a conversation that I've thought about a lot. And I think there are so many people, John, that are in the middle um, who are thinking, you know, like, I, I want, I love my city. I want what's best for my city. And I also am terrified of of what, it, what it hasn't happened in a really long time. Um, and I think that I've been there. I've been there in thinking, you know, we've never had a system beyond policing. So what could that look like? I started looking into MPD 150 and seeing, you know, some of the research that's been been done there by some really great people um, to understand that this wasn't always the way things worked, and that there could be something better. Um, I, I used to be, I I was a reformist, (laughs) and I, I definitely thought like, there, yeah, let's let's ban chokeholds, let's ban, let's make sure everyone wears body cameras, Um, let's let's just add more, you know. Some, some systems to, to make things work a little bit better. And I we've done all those things in Minneapolis and none of them have worked. Um, so I think that there's beyond that, there has to be something that is in the training. There is something there that isn't working. And for those people in the middle, um, I understand people wanting, like everyone wants to feel safe, right? And that's where Yes for Minneapolis came from. It's like people want to feel safe. But the... the my. I think my favorite argument is if I'm having um, like a mental health breakdown, do I want a police officer knocking on my door? Absolutely not. They're not trained to respond to situations like that. Maybe they're trained to respond to to violent situations um, in another in a violent way, but I don't think that that's what we need. And so that's what a Department of Public Safety would do. It would make sure that there are direct responses. In in response to what's actually going on. So if there is someone who's having a mental health breakdown, they aren't being shot and killed in their you know front yard because the police don't know how to deal with them. There are actual mental health you know workers who are going to them. Um, and then where there, when there are other situations like people are like, well, what are you going to do when someone's getting robbed? What are you going to do when someone's you know lighting something on fire? There is another response to that. And I don't know what that response will look like, because again, it hasn't been done before. So Minneapolis is going to be kind of like a pilot program for a lot of this. Right. And, and I, think that, I think that we can figure it out. But it's going to take a lot of, as Jason said, re-envisioning. And I've hated the word reimagining because I've heard it so many times. But that really is what it takes. It takes looking beyond what we have seen for our entire lives. Like my entire life, I've, you know, I've been like, okay, what happens? We call 911, the police show up. Um, I remember like my mom was having an asthma attack. We called 911, the police showed up with the <laughs> with right. the ambulance. Like, why are they there? There is no reason for the police wow. to show up for that. Um, right. So I want people to think about that too. Like, are your resources, are the resources that we have being used in the way that's, you know, the best? And I think overall, the answer is no. We We are using funds, taxpayer funds. For things that just don't make sense. Right. And that there are police officers, I'm sure that want to do the right thing. Maybe we can. Abolition looks different for everyone. Abolition for some people looks like, you know, completely replacing with something that looks a little bit more like, you know, mental health workers and other people who are responding to unsafe situations. Um But for some people, it means just abolishing altogether. There's nothing there. And that's what scares a lot of the people that are in the middle. (laughs) So I think coming up with a plan to say like there are going to be there is someone to call is what I think that people want, that there will always be someone to call. And so if we make that, if we can make that and make it in some way that is more responsible, more accountable, I think that's what a lot of people are looking for right now in Minneapolis.
0: And it's it's an incremental process the mayor wants to frame this as vote for me because the police will be gone tomorrow. Otherwise, but it, yeah. it's going to take many, many years to build these systems to replace the public safety system we have. Yeah. And it's, it's scary for a lot of people to imagine tomorrow. I call nine one one.
2: No one's,
0: that. no one's there to, yeah. to respond.
2: Well, I think that's one of the things that has really just driven me crazy honestly about the conversations the mayor is having is it that he's building on people's fear right he's saying i know that i know that the people that i'm talking to are really afraid of what will happen when they don't have someone to call, so I'm just going to tell them there won't be anyone, <laughs> and that the the other candidates don't want this. Um, when that's that's definitely not the case. There are people who are being really thoughtful about this, and I think that is the other thing that the assumption is that people haven't thought about this there like thoroughly. That people are just saying like, nope, let's just get rid of them. Nothing's going to be there, and it's going to be fine. That's not what anyone is saying. People are saying let's sit down and take time, and it really will take time. You're right, and that is going to be incremental change. Right, it's not going to happen overnight. It wasn't going to happen over the summer. It will take years for us to get to a place where we all feel safe.
0: And we might not all have the same destination in mind. Like, like we're, we should be going in the same direction. Like, if you don't want to go as far as some other people's, you can at least be here right now to start pushing in this direction. Because I think this is the right direction, regardless of how far you think it should go in the end, considering this is going to be a long process.
1: Right, and especially considering where the current system has left so many people you know it's it's not like we're looking at a system that has made everybody happy and you know there wouldn't be a, a call for change if there weren't serious serious issues with where we're at right now um and you know i always use that analogy of driving a car and having the brakes go out like that's not when you decide to start pricing new cars and trying to figure out which features you want the first responsibility is to stop the car safely Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and then proceed from there and i think you know as somebody who has studied the the concept of leadership um in the past i think it's really fascinating to see how The mayor has chosen to frame this moment um, because a a huge part of leadership is guiding people through change and difficult situations and it feels like oftentimes he just abdicates that responsibility and just insists that you know unless we do what he wants or what his idea is then everything will just fall apart Um, and that's really you know, a terrible way to lead, particularly when you look at a municipality and a community like Minneapolis.
2: Yeah. I think it's a tactic to stay in power, right? That he's telling people like without me, this will happen. And that's not leadership to me. That's, it's more about him than it is about anybody else. And it's more about him than it is about Minneapolis and people in Minneapolis. And we need better. We, we deserve better, I think. And I hope that in November we we have better.
0: Yeah. Imagine yeah. imagine a different mayor is in charge <laughs> as as the city falls apart, as the public safety system disintegrates.
2: Can you imagine getting responses to emails? Can you imagine someone like <laughs> not saying we need a strong mayor system? Right. Right. Or actually yeah. working with the council.
1: Yeah. Be- Somebody who would have shown up last summer in support of the city council to talk about how to move forward and make a better Minneapolis for everyone as opposed to, you know, somebody who just hid and you know, turned their cell phone off for for a couple months.
0: Yeah. But but actually I was making a point about like literally imagine someone else, a, a woman had been mayor in 2020, a progressive had been a mayor in 2020 and all of that tragedy and disaster and failure to communicate with the governor's office. Things seemed to be, he didn't seem to be in charge of anything as it was all falling apart. Would have been ripped. That person would have been ripped to shreds on the CCO.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think back to 2015 and I remember we, we, we really went hard at Betsy, right. And after Jamar was murdered and people showed up at her house and we demanded for her to show up. Um, outside of the 4th Precinct. And still, I think that she did a better job than, than Jacob has done. She at least responded. She at least opened the door. Her husband at least talked to the protesters um, about what they were looking for and invited them in. That None of that has happened. And one thing that I've appreciated about some city council members is I would just message them or text them, whatever, be like, hey, some of your residents or some, some of the people that live in your ward are protesting right now and they need you. And people, some of them would just get up and go, right? Jeremiah followed one of the buses of protesters and wait until they were dropped off so I could tell people where they were being dropped off and get rides to them, right? That, that's the kind of responsiveness that I think is important in a mayor um, to say like, okay, the, my city is hurting. Where should I be right now to help kind of stop the hurt?
0: so maybe we should talk about the the structure of this public safety charter amendment it would be folding in basically all the expanded non-law enforcement responses into this one department of public safety it would put control policy control of that department with the city council i think that that's the basic part of it right yeah It, it provides the option for depending on which version you're talking about, the citizen-led one or the council version, council version includes law enforcement, citizen-led one includes the option for law enforcement.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So just yeah. to lay that out uh, for people.
2: So the citizen-led one is the, the one that, that I support. And I think the council one is there as kind of like a cushion just in mm-hmm. case. Um, but I'm, my hope is that people understand that there are council members who really do want to do better. And that they need more support to be able to do that. Right now, they can't do a lot of what they want to do. Um, or there are certain members who can't do a lot of what they want to do because the mayor is stonewalling at every moment. Um, but that, that would be the hope. And I think that giving the option for law enforcement versus no law enforcement, again, provides citizens the opportunity to make that choice on their own. Um, so I work In Part of my work at RISE um, is working with survivors of sexual assault, and what we talk a lot about is choice. And when you think about trauma and choice, when someone has been harmed, when you are trying to repair that harm after a choice has been taken away, so for example, George Floyd was taken, right? He He was murdered. That wasn't a choice he had. That wasn't a choice the city had. It was a choice Derek Chauvin made, right, that impacted the entire world. And so thing that we can do moving forward, one thing that we can do is provide people with a choice um, to not not replace the trauma, not kind of not numb the trauma, but to to give them a choice that they didn't have before. Right. To say, like, we know that there has been harm that has occurred over and over and over again. And here is a chance for you. Here here is your choice. Here is a chance for you to decide what you want to do. And so for people who have experienced trauma and not just sexual assault again, um, like the entire city's experienced trauma. Every single person in the city has experienced some kind of trauma because of what has happened, uh, what what happened last summer and even before last summer. And we're trying to give them again, we're trying to give them the power to decide what makes sense for them in November. And I think that it sucks that the the mayor didn't want that. Um, but people do really get to get to decide for themselves what public safety looks like for them. And for a lot of people it's gonna look it's gonna look different for literally every single person. Um but giving them the choices is, is really, really important In if you're thinking of, about reparations and if you're thinking about repairing harm.
0: Jason, you want a chance to say something? Um,
1: no, I just think that that's, you know, when you look at the, the way to lead in a situation like this, um, I think that it's really important to you know, kind of parrot what Asma said was is to give the the people a choice and a chance to speak and to lift up the voices of the people who have been continually marginalized by the existing system. Um, and that's, I think, the when you look at the Charter Committee amendment, the Strong Mayor amendment, that's what feels makes it feel like such a slap in the face, is that citizens led and asked for change and then this non-elected group um, just sort of back door came around and said no actually since you seem like you're going to have some success with your idea for a charter amendment what we're going to do is try to pass a charter amendment at the same time that does the opposite and solidifies power with the mayor
0: And on a much broader scale beyond public safety, just every department run like MPD.
1: And that, that I think is, you know, when you look at it is sort of that last gasp of the existing power structure, trying to make sure that it can, you know, solidify itself in place,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. you know, whether that's the will of the people or not.
2: Yeah. It's, it's a tool to, to, again, stay in power. That's the same thing the mayor is doing. the same thing the charter committee is doing. I think there are so many people in the city who had no idea what the charter committee did until last summer. There are people who had no idea who was on the charter committee until last summer. Um, and now right. all eyes are turned to them because they're trying, like Jason said, to, to grasp on to that little single thread and say, like, here's one thing that we can do to make sure everyone knows that we are the people who make decisions in Minneapolis.
0: And to... To fill in our listeners, the Charter Commission is a group of 15 or so people who are appointed by a judge. Many of them are retired lawyers, a majority of them are white, a lot of them are from South Minneapolis, and they are an unelected body who put forward this strong mayor charter amendment, which would give the mayor more power uh, over city departments.
1: Yeah, and it would actually
0: kind of wipe out
1: the city council if they attempted to interfere with that power.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and it was clearly a political response to the talk of restructuring public Absolutely. safety in the city.
2: Absolutely.
0: Oh. I think that's a good point, Jason, about like citizens go out and collect was it twenty thousand some 20, 000. signatures? Yep.
2: And this group of 15 people is
0: like, no, we have a different <laughs> idea.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. And like non elected. Right. That's the part that gets me. I don't know if other cities work in the same way, but I remember the first time I learned about the charter commission, I was just so confused as to how we allowed this to happen and how these people that we don't know have had this much power for this long. And if we're going to let that continue.
0: Unelected and usually not relevant to the daily operations of the city, but turns out they've suddenly become very important. They're also involved with uh, redistricting, redrawing ward boundaries and park district boundaries. Right. We'll have to keep an eye on that, Yeah. No. Um,
1: I guess, kind of on a similar note, I, I'm usually not the one who gets to ask the happy questions.
0: <laughs> go but, ahead, go um, ahead, Jason.
1: Be happy. <laughs> um, you know, since you are so involved with um, yes for Minneapolis, tell us what it felt like when you got the twenty thousand signatures and got that certified to know that it's going to be on the ballot.
2: I mean. So I joined the committee in December, I want to say. And I remember the first time I heard about it, I was like, "Okay, let's see, kind of, let's see what we can do." And I think we we always want to be hopeful, but like, if you're from Minneapolis and if you're if you've been working in any of this or anything related to it, you were obviously cautiously hopeful. (laughs) And um, my hope was that, yes, like we will get the 20,000 signatures. And there are people in our group who were like, that's not even the problem. The problem is, you know, going past that, you know, getting people out to vote, getting people um, to understand what the, you know, what's on the ballot in November. Um, But I think it felt really good. Obviously, it felt pretty damn good to say, you know, 20,000 signatures. And I think there were more than 20,000. I think I want to say we had... I, we had more than 20,000, and I think that was partially because we were like, we want to show them that this is you know a broad effort and that, that there's so many people that support this. Um, and beyond that, people are, people are ready for change and, and we have a group of people that are from the city we're who who are leading it. And so that happens. and now the, the real work begins. <laughs> so getting people to understand what's on the ballot and asking people to, to be brave in this moment that can feel really scary. Because I think there are a lot of people who are in the middle again, who, who, you know, signed the petition and said, yeah, I want people to have a choice, which is what we were asking. But now it's moved past that. It's like, now you got to vote, right? Signing petition and voting on something are very different and helping people to understand what they're voting on is going to be of utmost importance. And I think that's a a fear that a lot of people have um, in any kind of movement like this is are people understanding, you know, what will be there and what won't be there. The, the day after the election, like if they vote yes, um, is the police department going to disappear? No, that's not what's going to happen. It's going to start a process um, to to help you know the city come to a decision on how to move forward. So, I think a lot of what I was feeling in that moment was okay, we we got them. Now we now we got to do the next part. And also, I think with the being cautiously hopeful piece is wondering, what are other people in power going to do now that they know that this is on the ballot? What are they going to do? Um, How are they going to talk about this? How is Jacob Fry going to talk about it? How is Andrea Jenkins going to talk about this? How is, you know, how are all these people who are in power going to talk about something that they don't want to see on the ballot? Um, And how are they going to scare people away from it? So, yeah, I'm, (laughs) I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but. Yeah, that's, that's how I was feeling. I was like, I don't think that we've had many moments to feel that joyful. And I think that there was joy in that moment, but also just feeling like we have so much to do, um, and right. that we can't stop right now. And yes, we can celebrate for a few minutes, but then we have to keep, we have to keep going.
0: Speaking of Debbie Downer, uh, I get to ask, I get to ask the sad question. Jason, after you ask the happy <laughs> question. So people say vote your hopes, not your fears, but that's that's no way to live. I always vote my fears. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess, uh, I guess this is the final question. What are your what are your hopes and fears for election twenty twenty one? And I'll start with mine. My fear is that we reelect Mayor Fry, and I I think he's got to be the favorite at this point. Probably he's more likely to win re-election than not. I think we'll probably reelect a very similar uh, city council, and they'll, so those two groups will be going at it. I think so you're we might really
2: Debbie Downing, really. Yeah, I, think,
0: <laughs> I think we might pass the public safety charter amendment, so thumbs up there. But we might also pass the strong mayor charter amendment at the same time, which is going to be seriously confusing. So that that is my fear that we end up in 2022 with this very confused, muddled. Like, what did people say they wanted last year? We don't, we still don't know. Uh, So do you have any hopes or fears or response to my hopes and fears?
2: I think that we share some of the same fears. Um, Yeah. I think that when, when there are people starting to uh, run for mayor, which didn't, people didn't start announcing until like late December, um, some, and, you know, fundraising obviously matters and looking at the numbers scares the hell out of everybody because it should. It has, yeah, I think that fear has been compounded with this um, real, maybe feeling of like, yeah, this is probably what's going to happen. Um, and I, I also don't want people to like sink into complacency if we do have significant changes which I'm which those are my hopes my hope is that there is significant change that we do elect a, a new mayor and we elect a council that better reflects um the needs of the city and not and, and the hopes of the city and not just the fears of the city um, my other fear is that we elect a half decent council meaning we elect some really really great people and they have to work alongside the the really awful ones <laughs> and that <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Nothing gets done. Um, and that we we kind of put these really incredible people into the mix and they get so burnt out that they leave, yeah. they, they leave the system. They, they, they are done with the work. And I think that happens a lot. That's happened a lot in the past year, too. And I've seen it happen with electeds. I've seen it happen with activists. I've seen it happen with just regular people who are so damn tired. Because it is hard doing this work when there are people who don't believe in you, right? Yeah. So um, I think that whoever is elected mayor is going to have a really hard job. And um, unless it's Jacob Fry, I think that his job's pretty easy and he, he doesn't know how to, to respond to it. Um, whoever is elected mayor, if it's not Jacob, um, is going to have a really hard job. And it'll be beyond just the optics and getting people to understand that they're a real—they—they they deserve to be mayor—and <laughs> and into you know the actual work. But with the city council, yeah, there are so many incredible young people of color who are running, and I hope that we don't chase them out of politics forever by putting them in this position. And even in talking to some of those candidates before they decided to run, that's the thing I told them. I was like, I want you to run, and I also don't want this to be the last thing you do the last thing you touch. I hope that this is just the start of something. Um I know that you love our city and that's why you should be running. But also this city does a really really good job of making people feel bad about what they do. <laughs> yeah. So
0: that's that's one of the uh it's like my cliche question for whenever I run into a good person who's running for office. Like why are, why are you about to destroy your life? Why are you doing yeah. this to yourself? You, you probably like your family, you probably have hobbies you enjoy. Why are you doing this?
2: <laughs> yeah it does not sound like a fun thing to do so
0: jason do you have hopes and fears (laughs) um
1: yeah i mean i guess my fear as is has been my fear for many many years is that the status quo in the city um is going to react with their fears and lead with those fears, um, you know, and follow the lead of the mayor and the charter committee and just kind of seek to push back against any sort of change that could improve life for other people at the cost of making them feel slightly uncomfortable. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> i have thought about this going back to you know the the reagan years of how how people tend to vote when they have somebody telling them to be scared of the world around them and to be scared of this mythical other um and i you know everybody you know has their their thing and my thing is always that Hopefully, this is going to be the year that more people wake up and more people look around them and say, I want to help the people who have it worse than me, and I want them to have the privileges that I have. I don't want to just reinforce what I have at other people's expense. And over the last year, I really think that a lot of people have started to realize where we're at and that things do need to change. And, you know, I really hope that this year is the year that we see young progressive people elected and that we see a repudiation of the way that Mayor Fry handled everything over the past year. Um, and, you know, it's all it, the things that give me hope are talking with people like Asma um, and seeing the work that you're doing to help lead and help the community find its voice and speak up. Um, and I think that that's something that we all have to think about is what, what gives us hope and what we can do to carry that forward to
2: action. I love that because I think that as Jason and I both mentioned, we, we met through Twitter, right? <laughs> through Twitter and Instagram. And I think that there are so many people that I'm connected to now who are connecting through that hope and that that desire to see some real significant change? And if we can't have it, then we're going to talk really loudly about it and until until we can't anymore. <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> but that that hope is definitely there. There are people who really want to see something happen and who are working around the clock to make it happen.
0: And I, I'm going to enjoy avoiding getting away from the online politics and like being around people again yeah. that I enjoy well, yeah, so online I, te- I tend to gravitate towards the negativity like that catches my attention more
2: I think that's very common and I think that we're, we're also like only hearing online about the kind of sensational stuff right. because that we'll, we'll continue doing that to ourselves um, but when we're connecting in person and we're connecting with candidates and actually going to city hall things change
0: It's a good note to end on. Jason, Asma, do you have any uh, final thoughts? Anything we didn't cover that we need to make sure people know?
1: Um, Well, one of the things that I had thought about asking Asma is um, with, you know, you mentioned through your work at RISE um, that you help um, women, um, particularly women of color who are looking at running for office. Um, Are there any, Candidates that you're especially excited about that give you hope going forward.
2: Yeah, again, no endorsements, um, but, and, and I'm not representing Rise at all. Um, so Aisha Shukta is one who, who really does give me hope. And before she, um, before she announced her run, we had a long conversation about whether or not she should. Right, and so candidates that have that internal conversation are so important to me (laughs) because they're not asking. And I I love asking this question. Is like, are you asking whether your community needs you or are you asking, you know, what do I need right now? What is, which step should I be taking in my career or my political career? And Aisha definitely was like, this is going to be really hard and it could suck, but I know that this is a better choice, right? That I'm a renter, that I'm a woman of color, that I, I have experiences that a lot of people in the city experience as well. And I could do a better job than, you know the person who's doing the job right now um so i i love that i love that about aisha and i'm excited about her i'm really excited about nick core um and i i think that we definitely need someone better than goodman <laughs> and and <Nick laughs> core is a thousand times like in a different realm completely um I mean,
0: it's it hard not to- it's hard not to be better than lisa goodman
2: <laughs> yeah it is it is but he, <laughs> yeah. he's actually incredible and i think we'd be so lucky to have the two of them um, on our city council, but they are two of the people that I'm afraid for, because I know the city is going to tire them out and I hope it doesn't burn them out. Um, but those people give me hope. I really, I- I'm so excited to, to see them do something that I think that has probably been in the cards for them for a long time, because they're just incredible leaders. Um, Nick and I met working on some progressive campaigns and Aisha and I, yeah, I think we met, we met through Ilhan's campaign at some point point. and Aisha has worked in labor for, for years Like we deserve better candidates, and we have to. So, if you can vote in Minneapolis, those are those are two of my favorites.
0: Okay, I think we're at the end, Jason. Are we at the end? You have to sign off. You're my co-host. You have to sign off. Are we good to end?
1: All right, coming to you from Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Chicago, the sites of all of your hopes and fears. This was the Wedge Live podcast.
0: Aren't you going to say who we are? No. <laughs> oh, okay. You didn't give We're me done. a
1: script. You get what I do. Um, no. Um, seriously, though, um, thank you very much to Asma Mohamed Nasami. Um, check out Rise uh, Sisterhood and all of the great work they're doing. Um, you can follow um, Asma on Twitter at. Asma resists um and you have the same handle for instagram as well
2: i do so. i do again you know just disclaimer i don't always say things that people like but it's fun sometimes it's important to hear things that you don't like sometimes
1: yes um i'm jason garcia you can follow me on twitter at jason comics c-o-m-i-x and we have the pod Father himself john edwards thank you at wedge live
0: okay we're done this is a real real thing real 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 thing none of you have the balls to stop stop this stop this stop this
2: going on today. <laughs> we're in the wedge we're neighborhood, we're the neighborhood the right now right now, now, right 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 now